Hi, everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show, and thank you very much. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and I hope that everyone had an amazing Turkey Day weekend, watched football, met with friends and family, ate turkey, and had a relaxing four-day weekend, and are excited to hear a new Crypto 101 episode on their way to work on Monday morning. These past couple weeks, I've had a journey to get to know and meet some of the content creators, podcasters, and my colleagues in this space. So I'm going to continue that tradition in this episode when I welcome the Bitcoin Podcast Network founders, Dimitri, Corey, and Marcello. And we're going to get to know how they started the Bitcoin Podcast five years ago, how it grew into a network, and well, we're going to go into the market with them and their thoughts and opinions. I'm excited to meet them because when I started down the rabbit hole of Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and blockchain, they were one of the podcasts I listened to. So it was really good to meet them face to face, get to talk to them a little bit, and meet other podcasting colleagues. Before we get into that conversation, please go to Crypto101podcast.com. There you can join our social medias, our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter, see what's going on in the crypto space, see what's going on in the Crypto 101 land, and, well, just keep up to date on some of the news. Also, think about becoming a patron. Patrons, thank you very much for being patrons. If you go to the Patreon page, I have something to send you if you are a patrons for over six months. Also, please go to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating, a comment, and subscribe to us. It really helps us stay visible so everybody can find us. And finally, don't forget, Johnny's Guide to Cryptocurrency is available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and on iTunes. So this holiday season, give the gift of understanding cryptocurrency and blockchain by giving Johnny's Guide to Cryptocurrency. Now, without further ado, here's the Bitcoin Podcast Network crew. We'll see you after the show. Dimitri, Marcello, Corey, of the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to Crypto 101, gents. Hello, Thank hello. you. Boom. Thank you for having us. It feels good to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. You know what, guys? You guys are inspirational in the space. You guys have the Bitcoin Podcast Network, a slew of podcasts talking about cryptocurrency, blockchain, digital assets, Bitcoin. It's quite impressive. And you know what? That makes us all curious about entrepreneurship in the space, how you guys got started, and then, well, damn, I want to talk about your opinions about the space because you've been doing this and been at it for a long time. What do you think, gents? Let's get into it. Let's start with Cello. Uh, I will agree with you. We are impressive. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I would say that you're probably giving us a little bit too much credit because really it's all the snowball effect. You know, it it started with an idea in my living room and then it started with one show and that one show grew to two shows and so on and so forth. And now it's a many headed beast. And um, the, there really was no, you know, sit down meetings between the three of us. It's 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 all organic. You know, and it's kind of like the market itself. It's volatile. Sometimes we lose shows. Sometimes we add to it. All we're trying to do is funnel information to the masses, and you know, mass adoption has been our our core focus since day one. Right. Tell them about yourself, man. Yeah, man. Tell us about yourself. You. What about you? <laughs> uh, a little bit about myself. You know, in the traditional workforce, I'm a I'm a designer. I've worked for PayPal and, and Dell, so I, I kind of get on on the technology floor. So crypto was just a natural affinity for myself. You know, Corey and, and D got me into it. I always like to have a, a side project and the podcast was just a way for me to kind of unwind from my nine to five and focus on a new emerging industry that I, I took a liking to so I could kind of self-educate myself. So, and that's kind of how it started for myself. Right on, man. Where, where are you located right now? I'm in central Texas in the Austin area. Oh, right on. Cool. Cool. Let's move over to yeah. D. What's up, D? I'll go next. A little bit of my personal history, I guess. I was uh, teaching when I first learned about Bitcoin. So I was teaching high school math, algebra two and regression analysis, which is something that like all the teenage kids loved. They really loved my class. It's their favorite subject. They love math. Uh, I was going to say, there's got to be some sarcasm in there. Yeah, that was <laughs> <laughs> pure sarcasm. It was quite the opposite. So I was doing that for like four years, but right around my second year teaching, Corey introduced Bitcoin to me, and it didn't first strike my fancy. I thought it was fake stuff. I'm not going to lie. Right. I didn't say Ponzi scheme, the dreaded P-letter word. I just didn't think it would work. I was like, fake money is not something that people will enjoy. 
and I just kind of passed on it. But a little bit more about my personal background. Uh, then I went into business consulting, uh, management consulting to be specific. Did that for almost two years. Yeah, a year and eight months before I left consulting to work with the network. So, Corey, what did I call it? Monopoly money? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the word you used. Yeah, I was like, I don't need your Monopoly money. I could just go grab my own Monopoly money out of this Monopoly board game. Then he showed the white paper to me a second time. And Corey, I didn't really start getting Bitcoin until you explained to me how mining works. That, to me, I thought was fascinating. Like all these computers guessing numbers just to crack a code. SHA-256, in this case, is the number small enough, right? The number has to be small enough. And then you get granted new Bitcoin. And then as I saw more and more computers challenged by more computers that joined this network, and I was like, well, I could trust math and computation a lot easier than I can trust men and women with pens that sign bills that may or may not hurt people, but whatever. I don't want to get too philosophical. So he showed me mining. And then next thing I know, a month later, I had a mining rig and we were mining Litecoin. And uh, yeah, that's that. Right on, man. Let's let's take this a step back for a sec. First of all, D just lied to all of you. <laughs> what? Uh, so me and D were, were college roommates. Man, and that story off, goes name, so far back. I yeah. wasn't trying to take up the whole like we've been friends. We're a doing long it time. anyway. First off, I'm I'm Dr. Corey Petty. I I got into Bitcoin. Wait, we have to stop you there for one second. I apologize, yeah. Dr. Corey Petty. Yeah. All right, man. I see that. PhD. There, there you go, man. I, I thought you just maybe that was a nickname. You're the doc or something, but no, you're a PhD. All right. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was in college doing my um, doing my PhD actually when I first learned about Bitcoin through like a weird TED talk about money. It, it caught my interest. I read the I read the white paper, and I was doing my PhD in computational physics, which has a lot to do with like high performance computing and distributed computing and things like that. So like I've been fascinated by computers my whole life and it just, it, it was a really interesting computational problem for me. And then I didn't know anything about money. So I read more about that and then that became more interesting. And then I just kind of, as everyone says, the you know, canonical story, I fell on the rabbit hole. And at that time, D lived with me. We were roommates in college. Yo. I was like, Hey man, you got to check this out. And he's like, man, this is stupid. I'm not, I don't care about this. Like, like he called it Monopoly money. Went back in his room and played some, you know, Call of Duty or something. I got bills, Corey. I don't got time <laughs> to worry about your fake money. That's what I said. <laughs> so eventually, and I kept, I kept researching it and figuring out and things on and so forth. I was doing my PhD, so that took the majority of my time. But I wanted to do, a, I wanted to have a miner because it was still feasible to create a miner of GPUs and like mine Litecoin and an arbitrage for various coins. And I had been building computers my entire life. So the concept of building a miner was not difficult for me. That was exactly what I wanted to do to learn more about what was going on. And as I did it, I was telling Dee about it. And I was like, I mean, I just did it. I can help you do it too. After we started the podcast, when I was doing a postdoc in Brazil, that kept growing and I wanted to leave academia. So after I finished my postdoc, I moved to Maryland, basically to join the security community, teaching people within the, like basically the Fed and people with top secret security clearances, how to talk about Bitcoin so that they didn't sound like fools when they went into the cleared spaces <laughs> to try and solve problems that were around the concept of cryptocurrency. And then I moved to Boozell and Hamilton after that to try and um, fix cybersecurity issues using blockchain technology. And now I work at Status as a security engineer. Right. Throughout that entire time, we just kept growing as a podcast right on right on cello you want to tell us that backstory of how you guys all know each other so my older brother is the same age as dimitrix's older brother and they were friends and me and d are the same age so i followed my brother up to his brother's house and then realized oh you have a little brother who is my age and we were about six yep. years old at the time so we've been friends ever since then uh so that's that's pretty easy but then Corey was an internet friend of mine. Uh, we, we didn't know each other face to face, but I knew his his handle. He knew my handle, and we just exchanged pleasantries. Um, and it just turned out that this guy that I knew on the internet was my best friend in real life's roommate in college. And oh no shit! Yeah, yeah man. So, so the odds of that are pretty astronomical. <laughs> uh, then one day, we're me and D are playing Halo Two. And Corey joins the the lobby, 
and I recognize recognize his gamer tag because I recognized his handle on the internet. And I was like, that's, you know, that's kind of weird. I know a, I, he went by Petty Ho. And I was like, I, I know Petty Ho. Um, <laughs> and it turns out it was the same guy. So then, you know, just astronomical odds that we all just kind of linked up. And now we all know each other in real life and uh, been friends ever since. That's so. crazy. That's crazy coincidence. Yeah, it was it was pretty bananas. I was sitting there listening to him talk like they were old friends. And I was like, how do you know him? Because I met Corey in real life, like. At a, in, um, on the indoor soccer courts at our at our university, and then lo and behold, him him he and Cello knew each other for a long time. That's super cool, man. You guys are like just the average consumer getting the cryptocurrency. You know, all friends making this podcast network. D, you want to go into just how that all started? Cello mentioned that he started it. Can you just tell us the the journey, how everything started wrapping up? Maybe some difficulties at the beginning. Were there any, or did it just snowball to become what it is today? Uh, there's more difficulties now than there were then, but those are just, you know, problems with growth. I think it was kind of easy. Like I had become so obsessed with Bitcoin that I was beginning to become a problem to my friends and to my family. <laughs> like it didn't matter what they were talking about. They were talking about, Hey man, I just went to the grocery store. It's crazy. And I was like, that reminds me about Bitcoin. Let me tell you what I just learned. Yeah, you were that guy. About right. Bitcoin. Right. I was that guy. I was a little overzealous and uh, cello is pretty savvy when it comes to like cranking up a website design turning ideas into reality which is a process that everyone should try like you know if you have an idea just try your damnedest to take it out of your brain and make it real and he had a website called japan cinema but he was like hey i don't want to do that anymore i want to do a project with you and i was like i'm just a school teacher man i teach kids math i don't know what kind of project and we were in his living room just kind of thinking about what we could do there were a few ideas we thought of cello remember the like board game exchange idea that we had we were like we could just be the red box for board games people will love it and they were like there that is impossible i think that is impossible yeah we went through a few bad shark tank yeah. ideas you know i at the time i was working on another podcast called better humanology i was just bit doing their audio editing and he was like well let's just start a podcast of our own about bitcoin and i was like man you don't have to tell me twice i could talk all day every day about bitcoin <laughs> when, and when did the podcast start late may 2015 all right it's been a minute yeah, it's been a little while. And then we just made an agreement to each other. He was like, if you get all the audio equipment, then I'll build the website. And the next day I ordered on Amazon overnight. The next day I had all the audio equipment and he was like, well, I guess I'll build the website. And what was it? Chelly did it in like a day. Uh, afternoon. Yeah, a day. The website was up and running and we were good to go. We were syndicated. We had no content. So it was easy. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. And, so, uh, what, what was like, it like? What was it like making that first content? Then, what was it like to put out those first shows? Maybe even the, the first twenty to thirty, and the, yeah. what was the reception like? Hold well, no, up, there's a little bit more to the origin, but I'll get to that. Like, all right, uh, all right. so Cello, right before we got to making the first episode, in between that day he made the website, and like three days later when we recorded the first one, Cello calls Corey in Brazil. And he's like, hey, man, we're starting a podcast about Bitcoin. It's going to be legit. What do you think? And Corey is like, oh, yeah, I'll listen to it. And Corey denies Chelo, this happened, by the way. Oh, it's exactly it, what happened. D says it right. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> and Corey's like, yeah, I'll listen, which is like universal language for I'm not going to listen. No, to he it. said, <laughs> and then, you, got, you, got, you, got a, you have a fan. You have a listener. You have a fan. And then so Cello calls me. is like, hey, man, I reached out to Corey like you told me to. And he doesn't want to do it. And I was like. That doesn't sound right. Corey talks about Bitcoin all the time to me. Let me call him. So then I call Corey and I'm like, hey, man, what's up? Uh, we're going to be doing a podcast. He's like, yeah, Chelo just told me about it. I'm pretty amped. And I was like, do you want to co-host it with us? Do you want to be a part of it? And he was like, oh, can I curse? Yeah, hell yeah. He said, fuck yeah. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, okay, what? And he was like, and then he's like, I didn't know Chelo was asking me to be a part of it. I thought he was just asking me to like engage with it and i was like no man we want you to co-host with us long story short we're putting out the first episode so to answer your question for me i'll let the other guys answer this i was nervous on the mic like for a while at least for a year and a half or two yeah um just extremely nervous on the mic because for whatever reason like right before i hopped on the mic i imagine there just being a sea of people staring at me and sometimes that nervous played very well for the show i've had the mic for a while y'all take over Corey, you take I mean, it, man. First 30 episodes was a learning experience for because we didn't, none of us made podcasts. I mean, D did some editing for the podcast, but 
all of the coordination, organization, discussion, whatever was in a Facebook group. We didn't have infrastructure. We just knew how to use Libsyn and kind of record software. So it was just booking guests on who we like. We all, I knew about Bitcoin. I could talk and talk about Bitcoin and the, and the you know, like how it worked and what its implications were and all those types of things for days. And I wanted to. And then I wanted to talk to people. So like getting guests was really easy because there was not that many people to reach out to back then. Right. You knew who the leaders were and you knew who you wanted to talk to and what kind of questions you asked. And when you said you had a podcast, they're like, yeah, sounds great. Because there wasn't a lot of media back then. And so I was a kid in a candy store. The, the format of the show is we have a roundtable, which is just us three, maybe another fourth guest just kind of talking with us where we just bullshit. We just talk about whatever's new, current events, mm -hmm. what's going on, random stuff. And back then, it was incredibly random. I would say 80% of the roundtable was us not talking about Bitcoin. <laughs> it would start with like a, a news event that we read on a Cointelegraph or Coindesk or whatever the news media outlets were at that time. Mm -hmm. And then it would slowly devolve into Street Fighter immediately. And then we'd cut, we'd cut to an interview. But slowly but surely, we learned how to like use different organizational materials. We moved to Slack so our conversations weren't all in a Facebook group. So we could actually figure out where things were, learn how to use different types of things. And we just got better at it over time. But if you go back and listen, it was, it's terrible. It's awful. I mean, there's, there's people that enjoy that too, right? But like, if you're, if you're trying to learn about Bitcoin and not be entertained, then you don't want to listen to us back then. Because it was more entertaining than educational, I'd say. And so you got to the interview, and the interview was like, great. The interview was on point. It was really fun. It was just us hanging out with each other, learning together about how all this stuff worked and what its implications were while talking to leaders in the field at that time, like telling us what they're doing and what kind of impact it's going to make. It was really fun to learn all that. I think we were, we were only capable of doing this because we didn't already have the skills to do podcasts. We didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. So mm -hmm. we just kind of just stumbled our way through it for three and a half years. Like, you know who, like, Eric Voorhees is now. You know what he looks like. You know the company he's built. But in 2015, I didn't know who he was. So we're going to talk about Van Damme movies and what is the best Blade movie out of the trilogy. And then we'll just, we'll segue to this guy named Eric Voorhees who's building yeah. something in the space. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was just a different climate th even just Asking three years Brock ago. Brock Pierce what it's like to work with Sinbad and not yeah, talking I, about I anything that he's about doing. Yeah, I didn't care about anything he was building. I just wanted to hear about work with Sinbad. We've grown as friends and colleagues through this. Every Saturday morning, we're recording a roundtable. Like, hey, how was your week? It was pretty good. It's been fun. That's what I... Now, I wouldn't recommend that for everybody. You got to find the right friends. That's the ingredient. Like, I have lots of friends, but there's some friends I wouldn't do, wouldn't do shit with. No. Right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, so can you tell, tell us about the snowball you, how did the podcast snowball from the 30 like you said this disorganized you said entertainment and you get Brock Pierce on there talking about working with Simbad to a network for me it kind of hit around uh, we got like a first big break we got Image and Heap on the show uh, and this was like episode 34 we had to wake up at like 3am for it we were all hyped and it was just like, oh, okay, a Grammy award-winning musician is getting into the space to build some kind of AI, blockchain, better fairness act, whatever. But the light bulb kind of went off. I was like, the more we do this, the more different, the more prominent people are going to get in this space. It's not just about Bitcoin anymore. Now it's about fair music trade. Uh, it's more about building a better infrastructure. And the more we record, the bigger the space is going to get. And we're not going to be able to cover it all. You know, we went from getting technologists on the show to sex workers to mma fighters to rappers and it's just it's we can't cover it all because there's so many spider webs in the space so you know the, the format of the show changed a little bit where we're not just talking to technologists and futurists we're talking to everybody who's kind of touching this from many different angles and then we're called the bitcoin podcast because when we started that's all there was was bitcoin there wasn't any altcoins so naturally ethereum there blew up there were was just there? not many there was I mean, Litecoin, basically, it was basically yeah, Bitcoin. Was Litecoin. It had other things, but no one cared. I mean, there definitely wasn't, you know, lawyers in the space and regulators. So, right. you know, now we have a, a law and blockchain show to kind of focus mm -hmm. on that. There's a little something mm -hmm. for everybody. You know, you got Ethereum, you got commentary. Dimitri started an on-ramping show because he got tired of people from middle school that he hasn't talked to in 20 years calling him out of the blue saying, hey, Bitcoin's <laughs> at $19,000. Should I invest? Yep. And so he was like, you know what? Let me, let me start another show. So I think the aim of the network is, let's say you hate me. Well, you might like 
uh, our lawyer show. If you don't like the lawyer show, you might like the Ethereum show. Best case scenario, maybe you like five shows on the network. The aim is that there's something for everybody. How many shows are mm-hmm. on the network right now, and what other shows? Ten total. Nine if you say On Ramping is dead. I don't think it is. I just... Uh... I don't know. need to refocus my effort with it. All my on-ramping potentials are going straight to Crypto 101 to learn everything. So I don't know, Matthew. Just stop doing what you're doing so I can have some more people to interview. No, man. Can't, can't, can't stop, man. I, got, I have a big announcement coming that that's going to blow us yeah. up even more, man. We're, gonna, we're going. Wait. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. When can't you stop. Were won't stop. And you talked about the character in your book. I was like, those are the people that I'm talking to. Those, mm-hmm. those are the that I'm trying to on-ramp. And so, yeah, but 10 to answer your question, Cello, 10 total. Right on, gents, right on. So, D, when, when me and you were talking on, on our chat, I told you that the Bitcoin podcast was one of the ones that I was listening to getting into the game. So everybody needs a place to start. And you guys were not only entertaining, you guys are informational. Uh, there's a couple other ones on my list, too. I think it was Neil Cash Radio. I like those guys. And a couple other ones. When I started Crypto 101, I also wanted to do a network. I was like, man, we could have all these people come in here. And it just didn't work for me. I just didn't know how to put it together. How do you guys mm-hmm. manage the different brands, the different people? How do you manage you know, having some people come on and come out of the network and the expectations of the listeners as well? Because I, I would assume once you have some new people come into the network mm-hmm. and they start you know, rolling their show and then they say, oh, I got busy. I can't do it anymore. It's like, guys, like, this is hurting everybody, uh. you know? So, I mean, there's, great a, there's a definitely balance there. How do you guys manage that? It's, it's been well, a learning process. For me, I don't befriend anybody who's on the network. Because if, if you befriend them and you get too friendly, then you sugarcoat things and you can't keep it real. So when I run into that problem that you just presented, I can come to them and, you know, I don't want to be like an employer-employee situation, but I keep it blunt and there's no feelings involved. But that's not how Corey and D handle it. So there's a, there's, yeah. a, there's a dynamic, there's a formula to it, but that's just mine. I think why we've been so successful is because the three of us are very different in how we operate. I wanted to start a network because I wanted to help bootstrap people who are like me to create something like we created without having to, while learning from all the lessons that we learned quickly. I wanted to help people get into the space because like it's, it's valuable to have a podcast. And if people were as passionate as we were, then they could make something of themselves. Unfortunately, it's difficult to find people who, who stick to the game or we're, also not very good at setting out expectations slash managing those types of things in the first place. And so like when it was just us, we got good at podcasting. We understood what it was like to podcast, mm-hmm. to stay maintained, to keep content going, et cetera. And then we started the network and we had to start over essentially and say like, all right, well, how do we do a network? And then we had to start learning new lessons all over again on how to manage people, how to set expectations, how to set up infrastructure, how to keep people coordinated, teach them these things, to set up guides. There's a lot of other things that are involved with making a network, which we've, once again, ran into unknowingly in our learning as we do it. And we've learned a lot of lessons along the way. We may have lost some podcasts uh, who have moved on to do something else or do their own podcasts, but I still feel like we're allowing people to create something as well as like learning ourselves on how to produce valuable content for people who are thirsty for it. When, when people yeah. move on, did, did it ever piss you off? Like, okay, you guys started with us, then you guys got a little popular, now you're just doing your own thing and just went, that's like, that's kind of was like a slap in the face. You ever get mm. that one? Mm. That, <laughs> has happened. that has happened. Like, someone who thought he was more popular and didn't need us. I, I don't, I'm definitely not getting into that in the air, but yes, it's happened. Yes, okay. There is, so, right. It's, so it's difficult, be, right? There's a back end to these things that happen that are, is not obvious when you're just listening to the podcast. And, and if you don't have like clear communication from the start, people have bad expectations, then they think that then bad things can happen from that. I mean, Basically, like we're learning everything, learning how to run a network, learning how to make it go, just as we learned how to make a podcast and learn how to make it go. There's lots of stuff that we've learned. And, and what's helped the most is that when we did lose that show, we realized, like, OK, we've got to do things differently. And now every new show that comes on, we have a phone call and we set expectations. This is what you can expect from us. This is what we expect from you. And we follow that up with what you could consider like a memorandum of agreement. Mm-hmm. We call it a code of casting because we're corny and they sign that and that lets them understand, hey, we want X amount of shows a month. We expect you to do these things to participate with the network. It's kind of like I have this Wu-Tang Clan mentality with this. Like you can make your own show. You can make your own brand. You can do everything. Just throw up the Wu-Tang Clan. 
when time is appropriate so everybody knows who you're rolling with. That's how we do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a learning experience. And in the code of casting outlines, like any revenue share, any, you know, if any sponsors come through, it's understood up front, like the network gets a percent, you get a percent. If there's a network-wide sponsorship, if we ever stumble on that, you get a percent, so do you opt into it? Like, it's just, um, you learn these things as, as you go. But, so. but Matthew, it, it's all about balance, though, because if I was running the network, it would be a cold, freezing hell in our Slack, and nobody would be happy, and everybody would be miserable. So, right. like, these guys really do have that community aspect, and uh, I don't know, it's like the Planeteers, you know, you can't you can't summon Captain Planet with one ring, you know, you kind of need everybody. Right. I wouldn't be able to do this on my own, uh, so everybody kind of brings their own special, unique stuff to the table. Damn, y'all with the pop culture analogies, man, you're fucking, you're, you guys are fucking killing it. One one of the things that I saw when trying to create my own network that didn't work is that there's so much individualism within everybody else's show. So if you have a network, let's say, and you were going to do one of those network-wide ads, some people might not want to advertise it. So you're trying to sell it to the, to the people who are going to pay you and you say, okay, we have X amount of listeners throughout the network and we'll put you on these shows. And then somebody says, well, I don't like ICOs. And you're just like, bro. Okay. Don't get paid. It's that yeah, simple. It's, it's that simple. You opt in or you opt out and you let them know ahead of and you just say like, hey, this is it. This is what we're going to be. They're, they're going to be sponsoring us. If you want in on that, then mention it on your show. You know, click this and opt in. Let me know if you don't, then opt out. And then I can then take those projected impressions back to the whoever wants to sponsor and say, look, these shows want it on. So that's going to give you, you know, X amount of impressions. Yada, yada, yada. So, I mean, you, you bought audio equipment, you, you started a podcast, you booked a guest, you packaged an episode, you edited it, and you published it, and now you don't want to get paid. It's not noble. You're not awesome. Right. You know, we're doing this for a purpose, for a reason. <laughs> I, I don't understand the psychology behind it, but I know. Well, that's, that's, that's a different point. I mean, my, from my perspective, I'm not doing this for money. I mean, think about oh, no, someone's here. So like you have to realize that for the first probably two and a half to three years, we didn't make any money. We made just enough to cover costs and we have almost no overhead, right? It wasn't a money thing. It was an access thing or mm-hmm. a reach thing or a social thing, an education thing. That We weren't doing it for the money. It's right. only after the ICO boom that we actually started to realize we could turn this into, we could turn our listenership and our community into something that actually pays us. We could, we could leverage that and sell access to it in a, in a, responsible and ethical way to, to make some money off of it so we can work on it full time. Right. And I think that's part of the bootstrap process when we bring a new, a new show on, but they don't quite get it. It doesn't seem like they're doing it for the money. They're doing it for the same reasons we started doing it in the first place. And we're not necessarily selling them or trying to force them to like make money. It's like, here's, there's an opportunity. You can do it. But they seem more willing are more eager for the access and making a name for themselves versus trying to make a, a dime. Like no one gets into podcasting to make a shitload of money. Mm-hmm. Cool. It'd be nice. We'd all love that, but that's not the main goal. Right. That goes into the lessons we're learning since we just became monetized recently. We're learning those lessons too, like how to go out there and get it, how to go out there. And part of running the network is we, we kind of are a couple steps ahead of the other shows on the network so we can pass on, you know, everything we learn to them. That's kind of how the process goes. As soon as we have a new challenge, we learn what it takes to overcome it. And that's how the, the network keeps going and keeps growing. So, you know, one thing that I learned when I was just started podcasting and with, when I got other people involved in podcasting, you're trying to figure out yourself a lot. There's a lot of like trying to really go into yourself to figure out how I want to be I want to present myself to people because once you start having listeners and people start interacting with you and people start listening to you, this, you know, willy nilly person that just might talk some bullshit with their friends is now talking their bu- that, that same bullshit to an audience that creates a personal <laughs> brand that now is going to look at the people are going to look at them. And this is going to reflect who they are as people in like a public perception. And it's really hard to come to grips with that. When I was onboarding people as well, it's they didn't know how to handle that handled like I'm going to put myself out there and people are going to start listening to me and well now I don't want to be associated with anything because or like like products or advertisement or whatever because I don't want to be judged it's hard to get past that first step of I put myself out there now I gotta just get used to it and I might get judged my advice to that is don't do things you don't believe in Mm. period if you're consistently doing things that you can stand behind and you have an argument for and you believe in, then you don't have to defend yourself. It's that simple. And so if you're looking for sponsors, get sponsors that you 
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You believe in or like make them so obvious that you don't really care. They're just paid for the show mm-hmm. that people get that they're, they're a sponsor and they pay for the show and you don't really care. And you don't have to defend that type of thing. If you're talking, then be humble, right? If I explain things, I'll say, if, if I said something wrong, please correct me. I'm fine with that. But I have a pretty good feeling that I'm right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk like I am. I, I don't know. I've never had a problem being myself, but a lot of people do. And especially if you're trying to make something yourself and then project a professional self, it's not something that's necessarily needed these days. Like people want authenticity. They want right. real people. Right. And I, and I think that's what we as a podcast network try to provide. It's like we're just people who understand the technology more than most and have fun with each other. So we're going to talk about that and then interview people like they're real people to see what they're doing and why they're doing it. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's why we have an audience. It's because people want that type of material and not something that's, that's manufactured. Right. Is any of you guys full-time with the network? No. I am. You said I'd that. say I am, uh, but that's about to switch on back. So that's <laughs> about to switch back the price. The price has been rough. Um, yeah, it's been a rough year. It was feeling great in January. I was like, oh, this is it. This is going to be my life. It's going to be great. Now come December, and I'm like, yeah, let me go on and get these, get this revenue back up, get the it's <laughs> start, a cold winter, start, get this cash flow back up. We we make a little bit of money with the network, but not enough so that all three of us can live and support it, our families and our our lives. So it'll be going back part time for me soon. But it's been a fun year. Learned a lot. What would you guys tell other entrepreneurs getting into the space? Look, I, I, there's a lot of people that want to come in and either write blogs or make podcasts or even if not be creative, they want to come in and work in crypto, maybe design or um, do whatever it is. But it's always a hard road to shift yourself from whatever you're doing that pays you good money in like your private sector mm-hmm. or whatever to start just being an entrepreneur and doing it yourself. What would you tell them about that road and would, would you recommend it to them? Uh, well, I've been in the space long enough that I don't really like the taste of the Kool-Aid as much as I did a few years ago. I, I watch my favorite coin continue to develop their live dat with a 40-person team. They provide an actual solution to a problem and they only get around five to 10 users a day. And you go on crypto Twitter, they choose to latch onto a few choice people as they pump out Confucius quotes about productivity and how Lambos are a distraction. Listen, I, I got into this podcasting space to take my bullhorn to the mountaintops to champion adoption. And what I've realized while I'm doing a podcast is I have to make sure that my personal agenda doesn't stunt Demetric's growth. It doesn't get in the way of Corey's individual growth because I have an extreme amount of respect for them. So I have to think about entrepreneurship as a whole and my actions. And sometimes I get out of line. Sometimes I, I cross a line and I always have to be mindful of my peers. Hardly anyone ever talks about the real issues facing crypto or cares to address the challenges to adoption, some of which being there's no real use cases aside from blockchain stamping, there's shitty marketing, there's odd names, there's impossible UX, or in some cases there's good UX, but there's no real app purpose. I I attend the shill conferences, I attend the developer conferences. For me, it's starting to blur, it's all kind of the same, and it feels like people are trying to find solutions to non-existent problems. Mm. Uh, So I don't know, like, for me as an entrepreneur, if you get into this space, you have to have a stomach for longevity because... It can beat you up, man. And, and you know, you can mm. mention problem X and use case Y, but there's deeper discussions that haven't been told yet. And we're really early. And my biggest advice is just be self-aware of, of your reputation and how you proceed in the space. Corey, go ahead and take it, brother. If you're interested, I can probably mirror a lot of what Chella just said. But like, if you're interested in joining the space, be careful. Don't make decisions that are, that are rash and irresponsible for your personal life. If you have a skill, you can become a part of the space in a full-time manner. Um, and how you do that is you contribute. You contribute to projects that you're interested in. You find something you like. Majority of these projects are open source or have communities in which you can go talk to them. The whole idea of blockchain is community. So you become part of the community of the thing that you're interested in and you contribute to it. And then you do that as a side hustle for a long time. 
until you meet people, you learn things, you educate yourself. And, and, and more often than not, when people ask what I invest in, I tell them to invest in themselves by learning this stuff. Because mm-hmm. I think we can all agree, regardless of the sentiment now, this technology will be useful and, and prevalent in the future in some way, shape or form. We can, we're not sure what we're gonna call it. We're not gonna, sh- we're not sure like what it's actually gonna be doing or what app we're gonna be using that makes that thing. We're not even sure if people are gonna know they're using blockchain, but we're damn sure that it's gonna be there. And so if you want to hedge your bets, you're basically just going to understand how it works and and understand how it's changing over the time period so that you could make better decisions as you move on. And you do that by contributing and doing things. And that's exactly how we did it. We just did shit for a long period of time. Mm. And then I contributed to projects. I met different people. I I learned and learned and learned. And now I'm a part of a very large company that I'm quite passionate about, but I hope wins. But I'm not hedging my entire life on this company. I'm hedging my entire life on my personal education and what I understand about how to do things. My advice is to learn as much as you possibly can without risking too much of your personal responsibility if you need to take care of your family. And then once you have a clear goal of doing that, then you can make that decision. But it comes through like having a side hustle and doing shit for free and not expecting to like Mm -hmm. immediately jump in and get to have your life paid for. Mm. D, I want to bring that question to you, but I also want to make the statement first is that a lot of people don't get that, man. They want to start something and they just want to start automatically getting paid. It's like the first out the gate, they're sitting there, I want to make ad revenue, I'm going to charge them for this, I'm going to charge them for uh, advice, I'm going to charge them to be in my group, I'm going to charge you know, uh, advertisements for the podcast. Yeah. Everybody wants to get paid out the gate, and they didn't understand that, that it took a long time, a long time to build up a reputation, an audience, and what have you, for free, for the labor of love, just mm-hmm. doing it. D, what do you say to people that want to get into the space right now and start something of their own? I would say... Understand how early you are. There's a lot of hype surrounding this space, as there is a lot of hype surrounding anything that could potentially make somebody a lot of money, just as there was back in the internet in the mid-90s all the way up to the late 90s. Understand how early things are. It's still very much like, I don't even know if we're on the ground floor. I think we're still surveying the land, looking for a place to lay foundation. I mean, sometimes that's the way it feels. Understand how early you are, and, and to echo Corey, You need to be learning. And something that I just personally believe is that you only get out what you put in. Like you just said, Matthew, if you're expecting to get paid, expecting that, you know, dollar dollar bills and Bitcoin to be raining into your wallets. If you haven't contributed anything to this space, good luck with that. It's only going to be a matter of weeks before somebody like crawls into your background and like, why is anybody paying you money? You're kind of a scrub. There's no reason for me to be giving you money. So you, <laughs> you, you gotta, you gotta give to the space if you expect to get anything in return. Right. That's a tough pill to swallow because a lot of people are legitimate badasses, right? Like, well, on LinkedIn, I feel like it's fifty-fifty. You never know if somebody's a legitimate badass or not. But you go on LinkedIn, you look at their history, and you're like, damn, you've done a lot of things. But then they get that punch to the gut as soon as they get into the crypto space, right. and it's like, nah, man, we're everybody's on the ground floor. So what are right. you going to give to this space before this space starts giving back to you? That's what I would say for people that are just getting in. Of course, just hashtag do your own diligence. All of humanity's knowledge is in your pocket. If you're reading a white paper or you come across a term you don't know and you can't figure out what that term means by the end of the day, you're not trying hard enough. I'm sorry. I'm just going to be frank. It's easy to learn stuff nowadays. That's what I say. Do your own diligence. And give and give and give to the space, and then the space will start giving back to you. Man, we've been saying that word space a lot. Cello, what do you think yeah, of yeah. the space, man? <laughs> man, I'm I'm a little jaded on it because, you know, one doesn't need to look far to see that most people, they're not interested in crypto development, man. You open up YouTube, find the Ethereum Foundations channel, these town hall meetings, see how few people watch the meetings between core devs and the roadmap for various features, the fact that the core devs keep working on things, it's awesome. Build, buildle, whatever you want to do. But it's kind of sad to see, you know, very few people will care. You know, and if you were to say that the videos are too technical, I'm not a developer and there's plenty to pick up there. Right. It's just people only care about the price. The doors to this industry, it's all gonna care on bull runs. Like these said, we're still surveying the land. That's just where we are right now. You know, and you said how how people expect to make money overnight. There's another struggle to be had is when you start making money, people look down on you. People mm-hmm. want to be Dudley do-rights in the space and, and they don't want to be paid for their efforts. <laughs> and 
you know, I I feel like I'm I could be truly transparent, and I have the reputation to kind of be that way because I've been in the space so long. But I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to moon Lambo because that is mass adoption. That is going to get the attention of banks and Wall Street, and all. It, it's not going to be two factor authentication and decentralizing Facebook. It's about the price, and we need bull runs. That's just kind of where I'm at, man. I, you know, I'm I'm just kind of sitting. I'm holding. And even after I cash out, I'm still going to be in the space. I'm still going to work in the space. This is my career for life, and I love it. But I just don't pretend that the other side doesn't exist, you know? Right. I got to say on top of that, I think my cavalier feeling about a lot of this because I'm financially comfortable. And that's not the same for a lot of people in the world. Like mm -hmm. I can afford to care not so much about the price and developing and making an impact on the space because I don't have a tremendous amount of weight and worry on top of my shoulders. And I can't speak for other people who have that. And so people who grind and need to make money, good for them, but it, it needs to be done in an ethical way. And the price does matter in this space. I want to expand on that because I just came back from a conference. And what I really saw with this conference is that everybody that's in, the, in that conference are like blue collar, middle class people that finally, just finally decide to break out a little bit of money and invest in something. They never invested in stocks, never invested in a tech company, maybe have a 401k, but just said, okay, I want to do something different. I'm going to invest in some cryptocurrency or this uh, new utility or what have you. And this is the first time I'm doing it. I'm there to learn about what I'm going to invest in. And man, it is people's money. It's hard earned money from people. And you know, the average consumer are, is trying to get in there so they don't miss the next Apple or the next big thing, the next Amazon, because they're too scared. And they're looking at this as saying, hey, this could be my chance. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes. That's, that's amazing to me is that we've created an entire generation of investors and people who are thinking about money and how to use money and how to make money work for them as mm. opposed to this like means to an end where like I go work, I get money, I pay for my rent, I buy some beer. <laughs> people are thinking about how to make their money work for them and what it's doing when they're not using it. And that's an important idea. That's an mm. important way of thinking if you're trying to be a wealthy person that you don't learn anywhere else. I didn't learn that growing up. My parents suck with money. I right. suck with money. That's what I'm saying. So we've been talking yeah. about the people, uh, the average person. What about the people that are leading the space, the influencers? I would say that Bitcoin Podcast Network is definitely an influence in the space. What do you think of some of these bigger, massive influencers that has you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of followers on like crypto Twitter or what have you? Do you think they're carrying the torch properly? I'm quite weary of a, a good portion of, I don't want to go with like weird terms like mainstream media, but people who have latched on to the crypto space who already had the traditional followers. I'm very weary of people who leverage their influence for money. I'm very weary of them, especially if they don't understand what they're talking about because they have the influence and the potential to make people understand the space and, and help. But I feel as though more often than not, they're not doing a proper job of it. I feel the same as Corey. And, and, are we talking about like the big uh, bankers? Are we talking about like the Jamie Diamonds and things like that? Are we talking about like the um, Charlie Lees? I was talking about like, Forbes and CNBC and things okay. like that. But like, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. It, it's, it's even the same thing with like some of the big influencers. Like you look at like Roger Ver and Charlie Lee and these people who have made a massive name for themselves who are like, you know, who carry crypto Twitter. And it seems as though a good portion of them are now talking heads and they're not really doing anything. Mm. It's like they're living off the luxury that they gained a long time ago. They're no longer thirsty or hungry or, or, or care. They, they understand the things they need to say to continue having this echo chamber around them. And I may be wrong about a good portion of them, but I guarantee you there's a subset of them that are doing that. There's mm -hmm. no doubt about it. I don't know. It's, it's really hard to figure out where to find good information. I have trouble listening to people without having a good portion of that time being very skeptical of what they're saying and why they're saying it. I would say like, if you're listening to somebody, try to understand the motivation of why they're saying it before you take it into yourself. Yeah. I don't know. I, I only pretty much listen to Andreas these days. He's the only one who's like stayed consistent and makes the most sense to me is thinking realistically, but also as a futurist, a lot of the other influencers, you call them, like, I don't know, Vare, Vare's a goon, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they just spout off a lot. Now, every time I see somebody with like crypto anything, I completely kind of, kind of ignore them. There's only like crypto one person. Crypto 101? Yeah, no, Ooh, no, no, no. Like, oh, that hurt, brother. <laughs> Damn, that hurt. No, Shots like, fired. Oh, Jeez. That didn't come out right. Close I mean, like, bow. crypto crypto name. <laughs> like, there's, like, crypto cat, crypto 
right crypto batman crypto crypto batman crypto de niro when it comes to influencers man i just i just stick by andreas andreas knows what the hell he's talking about so we said andreas is one person do you respect in the space what about Corey angelo what do you guys what do you guys think who do you respect in the space if you had to give a shout out to somebody and tell the, the new person coming to Crypto 101 to listen to somebody, who would that person be? Listen to me, man. I don't, I don't <laughs> care about anybody else. Staying like, humble. Listen, Staying humble. Listen, if, if, if I got two couches in my office and invite Hugh Jackman over, ain't nobody going to tune in to me and Hugh Jackman talk. But if he goes on Jimmy Fallon, he'll get millions and millions of views. I don't care about Laura Shin. I don't care about A-Pop. We've had every guest that they've had on. We've had the same conversations. I don't care about the hits and the downloads and the influence. Listen to me. I get up every morning. I talk to them. I do this. I don't care about anybody else. Keeping it real. You know what? I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm full on stealing that answer from me next time. <laughs> There's yeah. Listen to me. I ha- I feel like I have a, I have a really strong ethical informed opinion on what's going on and why it's happening. Listen to the Bitcoin Podcast Network. But I have to learn things too, right? This is this space moves so fast. We have to continue to stay on top of our game so that we can provide education for everyone else. It becomes increasingly difficult over time as there's a lot of people who just pretend to be influencers and actually aren't, but have the like requisite skills to become social media influencers without actually knowing anything. And so like I look to more often than not, the ones that have been tried and true ethically, like you can you can see clear motivation, like true motivation from the very beginning. And it stayed that way over time. And those types of people are the people that I follow. Like Eric Voorhees is a very good, ethically sound quality developer that has made products that are along the lines of, I guess, the ethos of blockchain for a very long time. Vitalik has won a tremendous job of dealing with how people idolize him without making it go to his head. Who do you think is the most full of shit person in the space right now? Rogerus Verimus Maximus, that that guy. I'll mm. say, I'll say it as loud as possible. Well, come on, Craig man. Right, you got to you got to say none. Huh? Hey, we Bar can't, none. We can't just say names. We got to say why, why, why? Well, Craig Wright. We, do we even have to say why? Well, um, both of those. <laughs> we all know. We all know dragon. why. If I had to argue, Craig Wright. Or sorry, not Craig Wright. Craig Wright's piece of garbage. He's a dumpster fire. Roger Ver has tried. Has he's at least been consistent the entire time he's been in the space. He's had the same message the entire time he's been around, back when he was Bitcoin Jesus to where he is now. It's yeah, just he's gained a lot more credit and he's taken advantage of a lot of things for his own personal gain. I don't, I don't see why I people hate say. Roger Veer so much, honestly. I mean, he comes across like he a He just says a lot of wrong shit. He does. He just man. says he, a lot of wrong shit. You might give him points for consistency. I won't give him points for consistency. I take away points for how he consistently posts wrong things. And he puts up graphs that don't make any sense. It's just like he's taking advantage of the fact that a lot of people listen to him to say whatever he wants to say. I don't know. He's Roger Ver to me is like king bullshit. And he he did a lot for Bitcoin in the beginning. Don't get me wrong. He he got in super duper early, earlier than most 99 percent of the population, 99.9, actually. And he used his initial wealth to help bootstrap the the entire Bitcoin community and and let it grow to what it probably is today. Mm -hmm. However, now he's doing a lot more harm than he is good to the whole space. One, like being such a huge proponent of a hard fork, knowing what that does. Like we're feeling the residual effects of a contentious hard fork right now. It's just nobody wants to talk about it because it's like when somebody hits you real bad and they hurt you and like you just don't want to talk about it. Everybody's just trying to move on. The hard fork was not a good thing. It was a very bad thing. He's just going hard in the paint with it. And now Bitcoin Cash is hard forking again. And it's like, ugh. So to me, it's Vare. I don't know. I said my piece. Vare, stop posting shitty graphs on Twitter that don't make any sense. And then maybe I'll give you a little bit more credit. Yeah, so. with, with Vare, man, I, want, I just want to say that, you know, I, I really think that he, he believes what he's doing. He believes in what he's saying. And that's what all anybody can do is like, like you said, he's consistent. He believes in what he's saying. He believes in what he's doing. He believes in the forks and he do, he's doing it for a purpose. The first time I heard, heard Vare debate was with Jameson Lapp on Tom Woods' show. And it was a great debate. Veer, again, was just, you know, kind of an insulting person and very hard to communicate with. But his points were solid. And so it was I, points about when they was talking about the, the scaling debate and talking about, you know, forking Bitcoin. It was solid. So I don't know. It's I, not, I, I, I'm it's just not gonna a take conversation. It it's not a debate. 
it's just him saying what he wants to say and then waiting for his turn to speak the next time. That's usually how it is, yeah. Jello, you didn't get to answer. Who do you hate? Yeah. Not hate, uh, man. Hate I don't think I, don't think I used word. the word you hate. I think I think I said dislike, or you think it's full of shit in the yeah. space. Well, you know that quote: "You either die here or live long enough to see yourself become the villain." I think that's that that goes towards a lot of people in the space. You like Jimmy Song? Oh, great! He's got some money now, so he's going to make twenty thousand dollars bets with Joe Lubin on social media and totally discredit the seriousness of what he peddles. I'm thinking there's everyone has some kind of toxicity in the space, and nobody's genuine. But I'll give you a really specific answer, and that's females. The the pretty girls on Twitter that post charts, and they're they're getting 10, 20,000 followers based off thirsty guys, and then they're using that as a platform to make money and sell ad space. That gets on my last nerve. Uh, if you're attractive and you're in the space, good for you, but I, you're probably a bot. Just uh, I, I would like no to tell way everyone that, that comment <laughs> is going to be taken well by the. <laughs> No, no, it never does. Like, he's not saying all attractive women are bots. He's saying there's a lot of bots that are attractive women, right? What, what projects do you think are, are game changers at the moment? Like, so there's a lot of projects going out. There's a lot of stuff. Look, man, this year is a, honestly a disappointment, to be honest, man. The, the price is, you know, just flatlined. We're bearing out. 2017, everybody was saying, oh, products, products. We're going to raise all this ICO money. 2018, everybody says, hey, this is when the products are going to come out. We're going to get our decks. We're going to get our apps. We're going to get all this shit. I haven't seen anything. Is there anything that you guys are seeing that is coming out and is just coming strong? Augur, maybe. Augur proved its existence with this election recently. It was pretty slow, super duper slow. And then as the election got closer, I think there was uh, 2.8 million tied up in Augur contracts, which is a good start because it is super decentralized and it is a prediction market that really can't be stopped. I think that is exciting to see how that develops. Uh, Wisdom of the masses is a powerful mathematic phenomenon. And if Wagger gets popular, we're going to start to see some weird stuff happen. Of the things on mainnet, status is on mainnet, right, Corey? Yeah, buddy. And we don't have, we just, it's not officially released, but we're on mainnet. Is Blockstack on mainnet? Yes. They just recently started their own blockchain to live on mainnet. They're their own blockchain, but they have a mainnet that is currently live. That, I'm really excited about Scent.com. Scent.co. Um, they just introduced this new thing that actually works. It's like you can seed content. And the earlier you see the content, the more, I guess, dividends you get paid for how popular it gets. And I, there's a lot of other things that I find really, really interesting in this space that are coming out relatively soon, like Handshake. It's a kind of a decentralized way of handling top-level domains. They're going to be coming out relatively mm. soon. Hmm. Status, of course, because I work for them and I'm really passionate about what they do. <laughs> it's, a, it's an interface to Ethereum in a decentralized way that's also completely dark. So you care about privacy, you care about resilience, resistancy, all that good stuff. I'm not going to do a pitch for status. You can go look them up. I don't know. There's just just so much cool projects that have potential. IPFS has already made a massive difference in how we serve content and, you know, store content in a decentralized way. Storage is the same way. There's a lot of really cool things that are happening, but it's on an infrastructure level. People don't need to know how that works. It's just that it's, it's eventually in years to come going to create so many cool things that people can do that they wouldn't weren't able to do before or like lower the barrier of entry so that the things that were typically only for like the elite and status and knowledgeable are going to be available to people who are around the world and don't have much money that's what i see in the future of this stuff but it's going to take years to happen that's why i'm so excited about it tell mr jaded what do you got uh i would say uh brave browser they're doing a pretty good job other than that for me, the bigger question is, does anyone even care about the distributed nature of crypto? Because I think a lot of people like you are like, where, where are the products? Where are the developments that it feels like the core purpose of crypto has been lost by the wayside with companies twisting and turning the definition, morphing it into decentralization, trying to convince theirs is decentralized. I mean, it, it takes a few simple qualifiers to see that hardly any crypto is distributed. So there are some legit companies out there there's too many illegitimate companies getting in the way and taking the focus off of them. I'm like you, man. I just, I need to see more products, but there's a lot of companies like Lisk, Augur that have been around for years. They have the money, they have the, the team behind it. 
We're, I'm just waiting for results, man. Right. I'm excited about the Lightning Network. Does anybody even say that? I'm excited about it. There's too many things to name. There's a lot of stuff to name, which is why you should be listening to the Bitcoin Podcast Network. So oh, there it is. There's a the plug. I was waiting for that one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and, and when you keep it real, people think you're jaded. But I'm not, man. I'm super enthusiastic and I'm super positive. I'm confident blockchain has a future. I'm confident crypto has a future. You know, do we do we decouple it? Do we focus on this? Do we focus on that? I'm being pulled in many different directions, and I'm just trying to compartmentalize it all. But I'm not jaded, man. I'm I'm part Shallow of this. Uh, all this the way real. I was using the word that you used for yourself. You said you were jaded a while ago, so I'm just bringing that back. I hear you, man. I hear okay. you. All right, I was I wasn't trying to diss you, man. I'm sorry about that, brother. <laughs> no, no, no. I just I, I don't want people to be like, well, why is he host of the Bitcoin podcast if he doesn't like anything? If somebody was listening to this podcast, Crypto 101, we are. Probably the one-on-one stop for a lot of people. What would you tell them about getting into the space right now? Two sentences and then tell them about one sentence of the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Read the Bitcoin white paper, semicolon, read the Ethereum white paper, and then the Bitcoin Podcast Network is talking about all kinds of things that fall under both of those umbrellas. Invest in yourself. Educate yourself as much as possible. The Bitcoin Podcast can help you do that. Boom. Cello. Hold. Uh, Lambos. <laughs> and as far as the podcast, can't stop, won't stop. Boom. Gents, before I ask this last question, I want to say thank you very much for the hour and 20 minutes of your time today. And you know what is very cool? Everybody's always skeptical of other podcasts or other people that's doing the same thing in the space, coming on their shows or doing it, whatever. But these are some of my favorite conversations to have is people in the space doing the same thing I'm doing and just talking about the space, man. So I had a lot of fun talking to you guys. Yeah, I did too, man. This is great. Thank you. Thank you. Last question for today. What songs would you like on the Crypto 101 Spotify playlist to represent the Bitcoin Podcast Network? Oh, shit. We just, had, we just made one of those too. Hold up. Let me see. Oh, no, man. You can't, you can't do my ideas, man. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that. Come on, yeah, man. You're like, oh, you're a week and a half too late. I don't know who did that. We did it when we were like, what, two weeks ago? We were like, let's just make a Spotify playlist. Man, Why not? I, I've, had this, I've had this for 18 months already, man. This is my, already my second oh, playlist. Oh, word. Yeah, man. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even know we were biting your style with that. That came from too much prog beer and free time. It's, it's a dope idea, man. I love, I love just have, asking those questions when people come on the show. What are they listening to? What represent them, man? It just kind of like makes them more human. I'll just give one. I've played it so many times in the last week. It's called Uno Dos. Uh, by Teo, T-E-O. I don't even think I can give three. I'll just give that one. Done. Corey? I'm going to give your listeners something they probably don't have in your playlist, and I'm going to ruin your playlist probably. It's Culture Wall, The Devil Wears a Suit and Tie. All right, man. All right. I thought you were going to bring it back to 1999 emo, Hair Over the Eye. That's what I thought, too. I was like, where's the dashboard? Lay it on (laughs) us. I was going to go with FKJ, Ted Al, but... What's up, Cello? What are you gonna put on there? I listen to a lot of hip hop, man. So I'm gonna give you uh, a song that I, I I listen to often by a rapper named Currency called "Winning" featuring Wiz Khalifa off Canal Street Confidential. Right on, That's brother. A good one. Cool, gents. You want to say anything last about Bitcoin Podcast Network or anything else before we get off? The book, right? We inadvertently end each episode asking people to explain Bitcoin, Ethereum, or blockchain in 10 words or less, which is a feat in its own. Some people pass it, some people fail it. So what did um, Sexy Saffron, the porn star, think about Bitcoin? What did Joe Lubin on the next page think about Ethereum? So you can see that there's this contrast. We have a collection of about 150 people ranging from Charlie Lee to MMA fighters to Joe Lubin to rappers. So you you get the full spectrum to farmers. People all walks of life, and we, we've collected all the answers, and we have a, a foreword in there from uh, Nathaniel Whittemore, who runs the, the long-form podcast, and that's all packaged up into a book that is going to go on sale pretty soon, and it kind of gives you a, you know, a snapshot of the space from 2015 to 2018. Right on. That's dope. All right, gents. Thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101, and you have a good night. Everybody. Awesome. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101, Bitcoin Podcast Network crew. It was very nice to meet you guys and very nice to talk to you guys. Probably see you on future episodes, either in collaboration or on each other's shows. 
If you want my opinions, comments, or backstory about how this podcast or this episode came about, please go to our YouTube channel, Crypto 101 with Matthew Aaron, and I'll have that video out in about three days or so. And in our next episode of Crypto 101, we have an ICO 101 episode with Mr. Aaron Paul, and he is doing a 101 on Universal. So don't miss that episode. Before we go, as always, ApogeeCrypto.com, A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com to check real-time Bitcoin losses. CryptoNews.com to try to figure out why you're holding bags. And thank you very much to Helen for editing this episode of Crypto 101. We'll see you next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.